Well, my name is Joshua, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm going to be preaching from the psalm that was read earlier, Psalm 91. So if you have a Bible, please turn there. If you don't have a Bible, um, there are some available for you on the back round tables. We would love for you to get up now and get one of those. If you're looking for the book of Psalms, it's really easy. All you have to do is turn the Bible to the middle, and you're probably going to be in the Psalms. And then make your way to Psalm 91. Today we're beginning a short series on the book of Psalms, and since the Psalms are a collection of prayers and praises used in worship, we could say in a way that we're beginning a series on prayer and worship. But if you've ever tried to pray, then chances are your relationship to prayer is somewhat complicated. A few years ago, I was in the Rocky Mountains on vacation, and um, I was outside of Fort Collins in the Poudre River Canyon. And there I was walking on the banks of the river early in the morning, praying, and I had the sense that God was close, that I could feel his presence. I had that sense that you get from time to time that God is real, that he's listening to me, that I'm walking with him now, that I'm not alone, that the whole earth is charged with the grandeur of God. And if you've had a moment like this, then maybe you've done what I did. I said, Now, if I could just live here, if I could just live in the Rocky Mountains, if I could just live in this place here, then I could experience this every day. And I thought, if I live there in the Rocky Mountains, if I live that life, I could pray, I could clear my mind, I could walk with God. If I only live some other life with some other people in some other place, with someone other than the poor and broken soul that I am, then I could cultivate a life of prayer. But what about this life? What about the life that I live now? What about here? Can I live life with God in the midst of work and responsibilities and friendships and entertainment, all the distractions that I have in life? It's difficult to pray. It's difficult to make space for God in the midst of everything else. But there's another difficulty See, my son has a bedtime routine. He's two and a half years old. And because we took that vow that we just heard to pray with and for our child, we try to incorporate prayer into his bedtime routine. We we read some stories, we sing a song, and we pray. And by we, I mean me and Katie, because Jasper doesn't read, obviously. But he also doesn't really join in the singing. And at this point, he doesn't really join in the praying. He says, you do it. Well, a few nights ago, that changed. Katie was with some friends, and so I was putting Jasper to bed, and I said, who do you want to pray for? Do you want to pray for mommy? And he said, yes. And I said, I was like, okay, this is great. He's going to pray his first prayer. And he prays for mommy, and he says, dear God, please bring mommy back safe. And as I started to say, say amen, he says, don't talk. He was listening, listening for God. And his face fell, and he said, it's just pretend. See, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not just the duties and the distractions and the diversions that make it difficult to pray. It's also our doubts. Haven't you felt like that? Like, my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Is God really listening to me? 
Well, I've got good news for you. And the good news is that in the Psalms, in this hymnal of God, in this prayer book for God's people, we find that the people who wrote the Psalms weren't secluded away. They weren't monks living in the Rocky Mountains in perpetual vacation. They were actually people like us, people who lived lives that looked a lot like our lives, with the same fears and challenges and responsibilities, with the same distractions, the same doubts that we have. But for the psalmist, they saw all of those things not as obstacles to prayer, but as occasions for prayer. As Kyle has has already mentioned, John Calvin and before him, St. Ambrose called the Psalms the anatomy of the soul, that they expressed every human experience and emotion, and the gymnasium of the soul. In other words, the place where we go to train our hearts, not um, not just that we see our emotions expressed there, but they teach us how to express our emotions in a life to God. To put it another way, the Psalms tune our hearts to sing God's praise. And that's my hope for this series, as we look to the Psalms, that we will be able to integrate everything in our lives and see everything in our lives as occasions for prayer, and that these Psalms will help tune our hearts to sing God's praise. So let me pray for us as we begin. Lord of all creation, will you bless the reading and preaching of your holy word this morning? And may you use it to tune our hearts to sing your praise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I will huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house down, said the big bad wolf. If I've read it once, I've read it a thousand times. I will huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house down. See, we're taught from a young age that we need a safe place. That the world is full of wolves. It's full of big bad wolves that threaten us, that are dangerous to us. And we need a safe place. We need a shelter. And not just any place will do. It can't be a place of sticks or a place of straw. It's got to be a house of bricks. It's got to be a strong place. And when we look at this psalm, Psalm 91, and we look all through the psalms, we see that one of the most common ways that God's people refer to him, one of the most common titles is by saying that God is my strong place. God is my home. God is my dwelling place. God is my refuge. God is my shelter. And that's what this psalm tells us. But why is this a comfort to us? Why is it comforting to know that God is my home? In fact, this is one of the most popular psalms. And I remember when I was a new believer, about 16 years old, I worked as a janitor at a public school, and I worked with an old African-American man in his 70s named Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker would often quote scripture to me as we worked together, sweeping the halls. And I remember this booming voice echoing through the halls of Star Elementary School. Back then, we used the old King James Version. And he, he would say, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What was it about that that was comfort to Mr. Walker? He told me, I read this psalm every morning when I get out of bed. What was it about Psalm 91 that was a comfort to Mr. Walker, this man of humble means, an African-American man who had lived through the Jim Crow South, What was it about Psalm 91 that brought him comfort to read it every morning? 
if you look up sermons based off this passage, you'll start to notice a theme. A lot of them were preached in September of 2001. In the weeks that followed 9-11, countless pastors looked to the scriptures to choose a text to preach on, and they came to this passage to tell their people that God would be their home, that God is a strong place. And I think it resonates with us, but I wonder if we dig in, if we'll see why it resonates with us. I don't think it's just the poetry of the King James. I don't think it's just in times of crisis. I think that this psalm is a comfort to us because it tells us that God is our home, and if we dive in, we'll see this psalm is actually broken into two parts. The first 13 verses and the last three. And what they show us is that they show us what kind of home God is and why it's a comfort to us. They show us that his home, he is a place of peace. Sorry, he's a place of protection and he's a place of peace. And so that's where we're going. This psalmist tells us that God is a place of protection. So we don't know who wrote this psalm. Some psalms tell us this psalm doesn't. Some people think maybe it was a king. Other people think maybe it was a priest. But either way, they think that this psalm was used to prepare soldiers for battle. That this psalm was a song of praise, a psalm of confidence, of trust in God that they would have delivered and sang together before going into battle. And so you can imagine a group of soldiers. Maybe they even see upon the mountains the the impending army that's coming down to attack them. And they think, if I don't defend Myself, I could lose everything. I could lose my home. And this priest or this king comes out and leads them in this song of confidence and protection, of reminding them that God is your home, and if God is your home, then he will protect you. But the person delivering this doesn't just stop at protection from war. It's not just protection in battle. He doesn't list just the dangers of battle. He goes on, he zooms out, and he lists all the perils of life. If you follow through the text, you see that he's talking about the snare of the fowler in verse 3, the deadly pestilence. In verse 5, he talks about the terror of the night and the arrow that flies by day. In verse 6, the pestilence that stalks in darkness and the destruction that wastes at noonday. He goes on to talk about the lion and the serpent and the evils that, that are around us and the accidents of of tripping over a stone even. And here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying we live in a perilous world. We live in a dangerous world. And there's a lot to be afraid of. And if you think of it, many of our fears are actually rational things, right? Unless you're afraid of you know, being abducted by aliens or something. Uh, most of our fears are rational fears. And the psalmist knows this. We're afraid of our finances. We think, I'm only ever a few months away from rock bottom. What if something happens to me? What if I lose my job? What if we have layoffs? What if I can't find another job? What if I make a mistake at work and I get fired because of my own mistakes? What if something outside of my control happens? What if the economy collapses? What if my pension is gone? What if I lose my retirement? And if finances aren't enough to worry about and to give us fears, we, we start to think about our health, right? We start to get sick and we go to Dr. Google. And um, in about 30 minutes, we discover 
through the internet that we are in stage four cancer. And so in 30 minutes, we've gone from, from a little cough to being on our deathbed. What's going to happen to me if I get sick? What are all the things in this life that cause cancer? It seems like doing anything at any time with anybody could cause cancer. So I don't know how to avoid that. And if it's not our finances or our health or the things beyond our control, we turn on the news and we think of war with North Korea or terrorism or school shootings or violence or just the random acts of violence that happen every day. There's a lot to be afraid of. And before I give anybody a panic attack, attack, let, let me make my point here. The point is we live in a dangerous world and our fears are often rational. But what we do with our fears is the key here. And that's what the psalmist is pointing us to. See, what we normally do with our fears is we, we typically go one of two directions. We start to prepare. You know, we think, okay, if I can just work really hard and make myself indispensable, then my boss won't fire me. If I flatter the right people, they'll keep me around. And we turn to, to our savings and to our, if I invest my money in the right ways, if I pinch pennies, if I make the right budget, if I save the right amount, then I'll have some security. We go to our health and we say, well, if I eat the right foods, if I work out, if I get on the right plan, if I take the right diet, then I'll be healthy and I can avoid the sickness that I'm afraid of. And so we try to prepare for these things. And if you take it to its logical conclusion, you know, we, we get to the point where we have a bunker with all the food saved up for years, a stockpile of weapons, private security for our kids. You know, see, there's no end to preparing because we can always think of another danger. And so what do we do when we can't prepare? Well, often we try to pacify our fears. We say, well, just stop thinking about it. Don't think about those things. Don't watch the news. Don't think about all the many various things that could happen to you in a day. But that's not what the, the psalmist does. The psalmist actually lists all of those fears. And here's the problem. We can't just stop thinking about it, can we? It's so hard to just not think about the things we're afraid of. But you know what makes it a little bit easier? A couple of glasses of Jackie D every night. Or a bottle of Santa Barbara Pinot Noir. You know, if I can just give a little something to take the edge off, then I can sleep at night and I won't be awake at night. Maybe it's not alcohol. That, that's kind of an obvious one. Maybe it's just a couple of hours of TV or Netflix or reading. Maybe it's a pint of Ben and Jerry's half-baked. Maybe it's any various thing that we use to dull the pain, to pacify our fears. What is it that keeps you awake at night? What's on your mind this morning? What are the things that you're afraid of? And where do you go to prepare or to pacify those fears? Well, the psalmist doesn't tell us to just prepare for our fears. He doesn't list out all of these dangerous things to give people panic attacks. He doesn't list them all out so they'll know how to prepare. He doesn't list them all out so that they can pacify them. He lists these things out so that they can bring them before their Lord in prayer. So they can use their fears to pray to God who protects them. Now maybe you're, you're looking at this list and you're thinking, okay, this is 
preach to an, an army, to a bunch of soldiers? Well, what happened to them? Where are they now? Well, they all died. Every last one of them. So maybe you're thinking, okay, well, why is this psalmist reassuring them of God's protection if they all eventually died? Maybe not on this day, maybe some other day, but they all died. So what kind of protection is he? Well, if you see in this, in this psalm, all of those things that he mentioned, you see the enemies that we have. It's not just that battle. It's not just that army that are their enemies. It's actually the enemies, the age-old enemies of sin and death and the devil. And you see it here in the text, the snare of the fowler. Who is the fowler but the enemy who accuses us and tempts us? You see him talking about the evil that, that comes around. What is, what is evil that befalls us but sin that's lurking to destroy our lives? And death, the last and greatest enemy. Well, those are our true enemies, the enemies that theologians have always considered the enemies of humanity and the enemies of God. And so the type of protection that the psalmist is promising is key here. See, there's two types of protection. There's protection that removes all vulnerability, gives us immunity. But then there's another type of protection that's amidst vulnerability. And that's the kind of protection that this psalm is about. He doesn't say, God is going to deal with this army and there will never be any arrows. He doesn't say there's not going to be any snakes anymore. He doesn't say there's not going to be any rocks to trip you. No, he says there's going to be arrows that are on your left and your right, terrors by day, terrors by night, terrors in the noonday. There are rocks and lions and serpents. He lists all of the, the perils and the dangers and the fears that they have. And he says, even in the midst of those things, God will be your home. God will be your refuge and your shelter. And that can only be true in one way. That's if God goes behind the enemy lines and defeats those enemies. If he defeats those enemies so that they only can enact wounds on us that aren't lasting. It only is a place of protection if God defeats our enemies fully and finally. And that's what we see in this psalm is a promise not to take us away from danger, but a promise to deliver us from danger and through danger. Uh, the preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, no evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him. That is the one whose home is God. For everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure where others are in peril. He lives where others die. See, what this psalmist is telling us is even if the arrows hit you, even if the snake bites you, even if you're defeated this day and you fall wounded in battle, God will defeat your enemies. And in Christ, we see that the arrows hit him, that the sword pierced him, that he was crucified so that he could defeat sin and death and the devil. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, death and the grave have no sting because Christ has defeated them. And so the protection that's offered here is that in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your dangers, God has already defeated your enemies so they can't wound you fatally, 
They can't destroy you because you'll live forever with him. And so what it means that God is our home is that we have this protection that transcends our fears, that God is bigger than cancer, that God is bigger than poverty, that God is bigger than anything that we're afraid of, and that he protects us from that by destroying the enemies of our body and soul and giving us new life in his kingdom. But if you're like me, you look at this list of fears and you think, yeah, I'm not really that afraid of snakes, you know, and I'm not really that afraid of arrows, and I'm not really that afraid of terrorism and violence and war. I'm not really that afraid of, of begging on the street. You know, really what I'm afraid of, if I'm honest with you, is the things that, that aren't seen. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of inadequacy. I'm afraid of rejection. You know, aren't our deepest fears more that, that we'll be abandoned and left alone? Aren't those our deepest fears? Well, the psalmist shifts, and he actually shifts from naming all of the fears and the dangers of life and promising God's protection, and he shifts to the psalmist hearing God speak words of affirmation, of God speaking his assurance to his people. And remember, this is to a bunch of soldiers who are about to go into war. He says, God's going to protect you. Even if you die, you will live forever if God is your home. And then he says, you know what? Your greater fears are the fears of being abandoned, of being alone and rejected and ashamed. And God even addresses those. Hear him speak to you. So to really see that God is our home and to bring us comfort, we have to see him not just as a place of protection, but as a place of peace. We have to see his personal affirmation to us. You know, we, we all want a place to belong. Isn't that what home is about? We want a place where we come in the door and the people are glad to see us. Or they want us to be there. Our fears are that we come home and there's no one. Or that we go out and there's no one who knows us, no one who loves us. We want to be known and we want to be loved. And yet, our communities are fragmented. And many of us are alone and many of us do feel alone. We have this deep longing for a home, a place to belong, a place to be welcomed. This is what all the Disney movies are about. There's some lost person who's trying to find home. You know, whether it's The Good Dinosaur or Homeward Bound or the B movie, there's so many movies where there's a person who's lost and looking for home, looking for their people. And it's because we often feel that way. We feel like, where are my people? Where do I belong? You know, the former Surgeon General, um, Vivek Murthy, summarized his experience as a doctor by saying this, and this was published in the Harvard Business Review. He says, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. We were lonely people. I haven't been a pastor long, but I've been a pastor long enough to know that we all deal with loneliness. Whether we're single or married or divorced, whether we have access to networks of community or whether we're isolated, we have a deep abiding sense of needing a home. And we have this loneliness that often returns. 
And even that is addressed in this psalm. See, when you read these verses, verses 14 through 16, you see the promises that God makes to his people. He says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And you know, what do these remind you of? They remind me of wedding vows. This is covenantal language. These are promises. This is a passionate love that God offers his people. If God is your home, this is what he promises you. This is not a transaction. This is not, hey, you're going into battle. You need protection. I need praise. Let's make a deal. I'll protect you. You praise me. This is God saying, you know what? Every fear that's on your heart, I know it. And I've made a way to protect you from it. And not only that, but I'm going to deliver you from those fears. I'm going to deliver you to myself. I'm going to deliver you for relationship with me. And look at all these things. We see all the things that God will do. This is not what the soldiers are doing. This is all the things that he's doing. I will deliver, protect, answer, be with, rescue, honor. Honor. God will honor us? That almost seems like blasphemous, right? God honoring us? Sinful humanity? says, I will honor, I will satisfy. I will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, the deepest fears of your soul. I will satisfy, and I will show salvation. I will save you from your sins. I will save you from death itself and from the devil. One of my favorite preachers, a man named Ray Cortez, said it this way. He said, in the world we long for a home, Home is where you're welcome. Home is where you're secure. It's where you go to the refrigerator in your underwear. It's complete security because you don't even care. You don't have to measure up. And he goes on to say that we're kind of obsessed with homes, you know? This HGTV is like the most widely, wildly popular channel right now. You know, Property Brothers and Chip and Joanna. You know, all all of these shows that we watch about making a home. So we try to find the right house or apartment and we want to live in the right neighborhood and we want to have the right decorations. We want it to feel like home because we're trying to build a home because we want a home and we want to belong. And he says, but none of these things will provide the home we long for. God's home is the home we're looking for in every house we've built. The deepest longing of our hearts can only be satisfied by his face. If we have his face, we can face anything. He delivers us for himself, and he desires to reside with us, for us to dwell with him and for him to dwell with us because he wants to be in relationship with us. And there, if God is our home, he satisfies our longings. He satisfies and protects us from our fears. See, if God is our protection, then, then we pray our fears. But if he's also our companion and our friend, then we also get to pray our loneliness. And we get to abide with him and have communion with him because we're united with him now. We don't have to wait for the kingdom to come for this one. We get to practice this now. We get to live life with him now. See, when I was 
When I was about eight years old, um, my brother was five. I don't think this would fly now, at least not in the state of California. But my dad came home and he said, sons, I've got a gift for you. Here are two hatchets. And, uh, and he gave us one rule. He said, don't cut towards you. You'll cut your leg off. Cut away from you. So go play. <laughs> we took these hatchets and we cut down every tree in the forest. <laughs> the trees we couldn't cut down, we built forts in them. You know, I, th I think every child loves a fort. If you don't have a tree and a hatchet, you build one with blankets and pillows in the living room, right? You want a place where you feel safe. You want a place that's yours. But here's where the fort metaphor breaks down. Usually, what do kids do? They see their neighbors and their cousins, and they say, get out! Get out of my fort. This is my fort. But when we have God as our home, when we have God as our refuge and our fortress and a shelter, when he delivers us from all of our fears and protects us, and when he abides with us and becomes our friend, we get to build the types of forts that are open forts that go out into the world and bring other people in. And so not only do we pray our loneliness and remember that we can never tr be truly alone if God is our home, if he, if he is with us and satisfies our deepest longings, we get to actually go out into the world and invite other people into that. We get to build forts in our home and at work and in our church and all over this city and all over the world and invite other people in and say, stop wondering, repent and turn and come home. And if that's you today, then that, that's the message I want you to hear, that God can be your home. You can come home and be home at last. David Brooks in an, uh, an op-ed uh, wrote an essay called The Power of a Dinner Table. And in it, he quotes a youth activist who said, um, he was asked, which programs can change a kid's life? And he said, in all my work, I still haven't seen one program change one kid's life. What changes people is relationships. Somebody willing to walk through the shadow of the valley of adolescence with them. And we get to do this. We get to not only sit at God's table, but we get to invite other people. And in our inviting and our welcoming and letting other people belong, we too get to find community. And we too get to commune with God in the act of building community. So the psalmist writes this psalm of praise, of confidence and trust. And so it's only fitting that we would end this sermon with a time to pray, a time to practice what this psalm has taught us with the confidence that we have his strong arm and mighty hand, that we have more than that, more than his deliverance, we have his face. If God is our home, we are home indeed. And we look forward to that day, as we've already read about, when God comes and dwells on earth, and the dwelling place of God is with man forever. And on that day, we will say, home sweet home. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward and help lead us in a time of prayer what I want us to do is to follow this structure of the psalm. I want us to have a time where we pray our fears. What's on your heart this morning? What's keeping you awake at night? Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Let it be an occasion for prayer. When you feel your heart rate go up, let that be the signal. 
Lord, have mercy. Lord, I'm afraid. Give me your peace. So I'm going to give us time to do that. And then I'm going to give us time to hear God speak his affirmation to us. And I'm going to read these verses again. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Where you are seated in silence, lift up your fears and pray them to the Lord who hears your prayers. you know our fearful hearts and you know our doubts and our distractions. Lord, you know every danger that is around our lives. And Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers. Lord, draw us near to you and let us find comfort knowing that you are our home. And now, Lord, affirm us and assure us of your love for us, your undying commitment to us. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, we praise and thank you that you will never leave or forsake us, that we will never be abandoned that we will never be alone if you are our friend and our home and our companion. Lord, I pray that you impress these words upon our hearts, that we will love you and trust you and run to you with everything in our lives. And Lord, we will come, as we have already sung, to the feast of joy and laughter. Restore us, Lord. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.